Inshallah, we're going to start now. Uh, you guys can uh, continue eating. We'll just ask that you keep it down a little bit, Inshallah. Uh, so those that want to hear the lecture can hear the lecture, Inshallah. Assalamualaikum. Um, <coughs> <coughs> nah, nobody beat me yet, man. <laughs> come on, come on out of retirement, man. <laughs> Nah, chess take too long, man. Quick is is a you know quick, quick beat, quick loss, man. Quick loss, in and out. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salam ala ashraf al-lambiyai wa al-mursaleen, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. So Alhamdulillah, we're here at Al-Minhal Academy for our monthly family night. Alhamdulillah, welcome everybody and, you know, Alhamdulillah for everybody coming out. Uh, we have a nice crowd here tonight, mashallah, everyone is eating, uh, children are playing board games, um, I'm three and zero, I have no losses, I, I got up from the table voluntarily. <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I mean, this is what it's about, man, this is, this is what being a part of an Islamic community is about. It's about family, it's about children, it's about love, it's about cohesion, cooperation, right? And most importantly, um, our duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, which governs all of that. <clears throat> this is what being part of a community is about. I have not felt this type of energy being a part of an Islamic community in a while. You know, I don't know if... Uh, Islamic communities are in the habit of doing family nights, but I think that every masjid, every community should have a monthly family night. And this is not just about, you know, coming out and listening to lectures. We're here to, you know, enjoy our time with one another. As you can see, we pray janazas pretty much every week. Someone is dying. We're praying, you know, a janazah prayer over someone. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows how much time we have left. Allah knows best how much time we have left. We have many of our elders who, you know, at one time uh, or another in their lives um, used to be able to go down on the ground and prostrate with their head, their forehead, and their nose on the ground. And today they have to prostrate sitting in a chair. And, you know, obviously I don't want to, um, <clears throat> I don't want to sound, you know, I don't want to go off the deep end, but... You know, from praying, prostrating on the ground to praying in a chair, after praying in a chair, the only other place after that is we pray in your janazah and, and burying you in your grave. You know, they're, they're, you don't go from praying in a chair, sitting down in a chair to, you know, you don't get those years back, man. It's, it's over with. You know, we want to make the best of what is left of our lives. So... <clears throat> Tonight's uh, reminder, I don't want to call it a lecture because it's not a lecture, we're not here to be lectured, uh, but just to kind of give some reminder, some hope, inshallah ta'ala, um, as we, you know, want to make the best of our time together. Tonight I want to kind of uh, talk a little bit about family life with the Prophet sallallahu and what that actually looked like for him. We're used to seeing or hearing examples of the Prophet sallallahu fighting jihad, giving dawah to the kuffar of Quraysh and many of his you know, trials and challenges as a prophet and messenger. But um, we very seldom do we see family life with the Prophet ﷺ and how he interacted with his wives and his children. Unfortunately, because he was a man in polygyny, um, I can't just give you an example of just him and one wife, right? You know, so... Uh, his situation was a little more unique. So when we look at family life with the Prophet ﷺ, usually we're going to see examples of him interacting with, you know, multiple wives. And how uncomfortable that may be for some people when they just hear the word polygyny. Um, it was actually a very, you know, healthy, a very happy family unit. Right? It was a very happy, very, you know cohesive family unit and they had their challenges just like any family whether in monogamy or polygyny uh, and that's not me advocating polygyny although I do advocate it um, not me advocating it here right now at this moment just giving you a glimpse at his life with his family 
laughing and enjoying <clears throat> one's time, especially with family, is one of the greatest joys that a man can experience. Anyone in here married right now with children? Okay, pretty much all of you, right? <laughs> Mesquite, except you. Inshallah, we're going to make sure you get there. We're going we're gonna to make sure you get there. There's, there's nothing more joyous. There's nothing that can bring more happy to a man. And those of you who are married with children can attest to this. There's nothing that is more more joyous to you know uh, the life of a man than to come home and be able to see your children sit on the couch and have your youngest snuggle neath, uh, underneath you, have your oldest you know still in the home, still intact. You know, not separated or disconnected from the family, even though as teenagers sometimes they tend to get a little disconnected. But to have all of your family underneath one roof and, you know, there's a happy relationship, cohesive relationship between the husband and wife. <clears throat> there's, there's nothing more happier than that. I, I can't think of a better place to be than to be married, to be in the institution of marriage. And with all of the talk about how ugly marriage is, how, you know, disheartening some of the marriages are, there's still the majority of our communities are filled with happy marriages. The examples that we cite of horrible situations, of not so good relationships, they are minorities. They are the minority. All right. The majority of the Muslim community is filled with happy, fun-loving, cohesive, you know, families that love one another. That's the majority of our communities. Because if we said the majority of the marriages in the Muslim community are horrible, terrible, you know, experiences, then that says a lot about us as a community. And I, I would, I would never accept that. Everywhere that I go, I'm seeing men and children that are happy. And, you know, that is an indication that the families and the households that they come from are happy. <clears throat> so laughing and enjoying one's time, especially with family, is one of the greatest joys that a man can experience in his life. Especially a life that is filled with challenges and hardships like the one that we live in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَلَقَدَ خَرَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدْ That we have created man in difficulty, in trial, and challenges, and difficulty. That's what this life represents. This life is about trial and tribulation, right? As one of the Sahaba, he said, "La raha fil dunya." There's no relaxation in this world. This world, you're, you know, you have moments, you have windows where everything is good, and, and I mean, even when those times are there, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're like, everything is going good. I wonder how long this is going to last. And the thing about it is that we have to learn how to live in our moments. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow and feel exactly how I'm feeling right now. I don't know. But what I do know is right now, at this very moment, I'm happy. And sometimes um, we have to just take our lives one moment at a time. We make plans and preparations to be this great person, to achieve this great thing. And while we're looking forward to that, we don't consider all of the mishaps and the trials and the challenges that happen along the way. That by the time you actually do reach your goal, you got it, but you're miserable. <laughs> you know, we, we, never, we never leave room for that. Yeah, you're going to graduate from college. Yeah, you're going to get a good job. But are you going to be happy? Yeah, you're going to get married. Yeah, you're going to have children. But are you going to be happy while you have those things? And we have to learn how to live in our moment, day to day. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that whoever wakes up, men asbaha. Uh, that whoever wakes up and finds that all of his family are safe, finds afi and fijasadihi, finds that his health is good, and he has this sustenance for today. It's as if he has been given the whole world and everything in it. I mean, simple pleasures. Simple pleasures. He said that whoever wakes up and Aminan fi 
finds that his family, you know, you know how as a father, you wake up in the morning, you go in the room, you check on this one, check on that one, you check in all of the rooms, make sure everybody's okay. I'm one of those people, I get up two, three in the morning, and I go into each and every room and check, you know, double check the locks, make sure the doors are, you know, secure, make sure everybody is okay, and then you can go back and get in the bed. That's part of being a man. You're double checking and making sure that your family is okay. And getting up in the morning for Fudger, you're, you're looking up, you're tapping your children, getting them up for Fudger, making sure everybody's still breathing, all right? Especially when you have little ones in the home, right, that, you know, just now getting their own room, you know, and you go in and you're checking, you're lifting the cover up, making sure they're still breathing, you know, that, that's part of being a parent. But when you wake up in the morning, I mean, if you sit be here and you find that your children, your family is still intact. And you find that you open your eyes, you know, all your faculties still work, right? Some people wake up and something doesn't move. I can't move my legs. You know, I open my eyes. You know, there was a brother, man, subhanAllah, a good dear brother of mine, Brother Hassan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy upon him and uh, elevate his status. Um, he married, you know, um, Sister Nayila, and they shared this story with us when we were at the marriage retreat last year. UMM does a marriage retreat, and for those of you who are um, couples, newly married, been married for a while, and you're looking to spend a nice weekend in the Poconos with your spouse, doing some activities, some fun, some games with other married couples, then go to UMM's website, United Muslim Messages website, the Happy Marriage Committee, um, they, uh, the Healthy Marriage Committee, excuse me, they organize uh, um, a marriage retreat in the Poconos every year. And that will be coming up in the next two weeks, inshallah. So for those of you who are interested in going, um, you can go to their, uh, uh, get their registration and you can register. And um, I believe it's like $500 for the, for the whole weekend, which is not a lot of money. And there's a lot of activities, a lot of uh, skiing and snowboarding and things like that. And then, of course, we have the Healthy Marriage Committee. We also have, um, uh, we also have uh, some activities for the couples as well to help build the morale, to build, you know, to break the monotony of the everyday, taking the children to school, coming home from work, and to break the monotony of that, to spend the weekend away with your spouse is definitely a getaway. So for those of you who are looking uh, to spend the weekend, there's two weeks left, inshallah, Ta'ala, uh, you can go to UMM's uh, Facebook page and you can find the Healthy Marriage Committee and you can go ahead and register for that. But uh, Sister Nayila, she said that she married Brother Hassan and um, he couldn't see that well. His, his uh, eyesight was, was, uh, was not that good when she married him. She said, and then a few months later, uh, she woke up, he woke up one morning and he said, honey, I can't see. And in a matter of six months, he was completely blind. Can you imagine? No one can prepare for that. Can you imagine waking up one morning, opening your eyes, and it's just as dark as it is when it's closed, that you can't see? So the Prophet ﷺ, he said that whoever wakes up and finds that his family is still intact, finds that his health is still good, and he has kutayomihi, he has his sustenance for today. He, said, he didn't say it's sustenance for the week. We go grocery shopping, we go grocery shopping for the week, right? So we don't have to keep running back and forth to the grocery store. Those of us who have the luxury of going back and, you know, going to the grocery store once every two weeks, and we have enough money to buy enough food to stock our houses up, our refrigerators up, to last us for two weeks. Some people don't have that luxury. Some people have their sustenance only for today. I don't know where I'm going to eat tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to eat tomorrow, but I'm okay right now. That's as it relates to physically how we are. Um, spiritually, it functions pretty much the same way. Iman fluctuates. One day you feel like you're on top of your religion. The next day you feel like a complete hypocrite. That's Iman. That's faith. All right, it's the same way with our emotional stability, which are you know, with your spouse, right? Today we're in a good place. I don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. We might be arguing, fighting tomorrow. I don't know. But right now, today we're good. We're good. I don't know what we're going to where we're going to be tomorrow. We might be fighting, shouting, arguing with one another tomorrow. I don't know. But for today, we're fine. And that's how we have to learn how to live our lives day to day, live in your moment. 
He said that he wakes up, finds his children still intact, children healthy, alive, well, finds that his uh, body is intact, and and he has his food, his sustenance for today. is as if he has been given the world and everything in it. I mean, when you look at that comparison, many of us don't feel like we have the world and everything in it until we've conquered it. Until some people, they could have everything. Man, if I had your hands, I would cut mine off. Have the whole world and everything in it, and we're still not satisfied. All right, so we have to learn how to take our day um, and live in our moment. The Prophet ﷺ, with all of his responsibilities as a prophet, as a companion, as a father, as a devout worshiper, as a husband to multiple wives, etc., uh, with all of that, it's got to be logical to believe that he has seen his share of situations wherein he laughed, he cried, he felt disheartened, he felt disappointed, he felt happy. All right, he's seen his share of situations. And with all of this, he still found room to enjoy the moments of happiness in his life. So for the next maybe 10, 15 minutes, I just want to take an opportunity to just kind of show another side to the Prophet Wasallam that with all of the things that was going on in his life, he still found an opportunity, he still found room to smile. Because it's not that bad. And these are things that you find, like, when you, when you see people today, their faces just look beat up. Like, you know, like the world is just, they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And we have to learn through all of this to learn how to just smile and shake it off, man. Because this is the way that it's supposed to be. I think that we have unrealistic expectations of life. We think that we're supposed to be happy all the time. Things are supposed to be going right all the time. We leave very little room for life trials and you know mishaps and mistakes. We leave very little room for that. And then when these things happen, we find ourselves crumbling under the weight of normal life mishaps. And we have to learn how to smile through all of it. All right? Uh, uh, Ubaidullah ibn Mughira he said, He said, I never saw anyone smile more than the Messenger of Allah. I never saw anyone smile more than him. With all of what was on his shoulders, he said, I never saw anyone smile more than the Messenger of Allah. Never saw anyone smile more than him. And this was also common with many of his companions who, although confronted with the same roller coaster of emotions living in that time, they still found, you know, space wherein they could laugh and it didn't conflict with their faith. Sometimes when we see people smiling or in a good mood, we're like, well, what are you happy about? I mean, why do I need a reason to be happy? It's like we almost have to find a reason to justify our happiness. We can't just be happy, right? You can't just be happy, right? I got to find a reason. What are you so happy about? What are you smiling about? It's like, do I need a reason? Like, I'm alive. I'm healthy. Like, I, what, I mean, like, I can think of a million reasons why I should be smiling right now. And it doesn't mean that you lack faith because you smile, you laugh, you enjoy life. Sometimes we look at people and we see them enjoying their lives and we, here we come sticking a straw in the person and sucking the energy right out of them. Why are you laughing? What are you so happy about? As if, you know, you need their permission to be happy, you know. You don't need anybody's permission to be happy. Don't let anybody take that away from you. That's a God-given right that Allah has given to every single one of us. And when you find your happiness, you don't owe anybody any excuses for that. Because if you took the journey that I took, then you would understand why I'm, why I'm smiling. If you walked in my shoes or walked a mile in my shoes, you would understand. All right, don't let any, you don't owe anybody any explanation or anybody an excuse for being happy. And it doesn't mean that you lack faith. As uh, Ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Umar, very profound, Abdullah ibn Umar, عنه, he was asked, Hal kana ashab Rasulillahi sallallahu he was asked, did the companions of the Prophet ﷺ ever laugh? Did the companions of the Prophet ﷺ laugh? And Abdullah bin Umar said, Naam. He said, yes. Wal iman fi min al 
He said, yes, they used to laugh. He said, but faith in their heart was as solid as a mountain. <laughs> they laughed and they joked. They found space where they could enjoy life. But that did not mean that they didn't they be, they didn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well iman fi kulubihim a'dham min al-jabal. And faith in their hearts was as solid as a mountain. Just because they laughed, they joked, they found, you know, humor, right, in the in the world. Doesn't mean that you don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright? Qala Bilal ibn Sa'd was a tabi. He said, أَدْرَقْتُهُمْ يَعْنِي أَصْحَابِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَضْحَكْ بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَى بَعْضٍ فَإِذَا كَانَ اللَّيْلِ لَا كَانُوا رُهْبَانًا He said that, I met some of the companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and كَانُوا يَضْحَكْ بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَى بَعْضٍ They used to laugh and joke with one another. He said, but when night time came, كَانُوا رُهْبَانًا They were ascetics. They were devout worshippers at night. They laughed during the day. They enjoyed their time. But when night time came, all you found them is in sujood, in rukur, crying, begging Allah. They became devout worshippers at night. Almost like they changed completely. Laugh and joke during the day. But when night time came, they became devout worshippers. And this was the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his companions. They found moments where they would just enjoy the moment. We're in the moment right now. We're in this very moment right now. We don't know where we're going to be an hour from now. We don't know where we're going to be tomorrow. But right now, we are in this very moment. And we should take advantage of that. Alright? A man came to the Prophet وسلم, and he said, Oh, Messenger of Allah, give me a ride. Ihmilni. Give me a ride. And the Prophet وسلم, said, Anna Hamiluk ala walad al He said, I'll, I'll let you ride on the uh, baby of a camel, the child of a camel. So the man said, Ya Rasulullah, wa ma asna'u bi walad al what am, what am I going to do with the baby of a camel? A baby camel. What am I going to do with a baby camel? And the Prophet said, Doesn't every camel give birth to? It doesn't matter how big. He said, I'm going to let you ride on the child of a camel, of a she camel. He said, What am I going to do with a baby camel? He said, Doesn't every camel give birth? Doesn't every female camel give birth to a camel? Meaning, it doesn't mean that you're going to ride on a small baby one, but every child of a female camel is a baby camel. He was making, basically making a joke with him and just showing you the sense of humor that the Prophet ﷺ had with his companions. And you would think with all of the narrations that we read about his life and how difficult it was, that how could they find time to joke? How could they find time? Even now, when we see people in the masjid laughing and joking, we'll come over and we'll say, you know, you're in the masjid. As if it's like haram to laugh in the masjid. If it's almost like haram to have a good heart. <laughs> I have a good time in the masjid. The Prophet ﷺ into the masjid and he found the Sahaba sword fighting in the masjid, wrestling. Some of them sword fighting, some of them wrestling in the masjid. And Abu Omar went over and was like, you know, stop, you guys are in the masjid, what are you doing? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Da'ahum yal'abun hatta ya'lam al Yahuda wa Nasara anna fi dinina fusha. He said, no, let them play. Let them play. Don't stop them. He says, so that Jews and Christians understand that we have leisure time in our religion. It's not all worship all the time. We have time for leisure. We have time for joking and playing. We have time for that. Even the Prophet ﷺ himself, he was joking with the older woman and he said, La yadkhul jannah al-ajuz, that old women will not enter into paradise. So she started crying. He said, old women will not enter into paradise. She started crying. And then he recited a verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that we will bring them back to their younger age. That women will be reduced back down to their lower age. Some scholars say 22, 25, 23. They will be in their prime in Jannah. They will not be old in Jannah. So when the Prophet said that to her, she started smiling because she realized that he was joking. What he meant when he said that old women will not enter to paradise, meaning Allah will bring them back down to a young age and restore their virginity back to them before he lets them enter into paradise. I mean, if a person is old in paradise, would it actually be paradise? 
You're going to be on a cane, you know, liver bad, you got a bad knees, right, in, in your agenda. How are you going to enjoy paradise and you have all of these physical ailments? No, Allah is going to return you back to your prime. So all of think about all of the time as we get older, we're always remembering, you know, how I was when I was 20, how I was when I was 30. We're always thinking about those times. But Allah will give you that back, Yom Al-Qiyamah, you know. Um, <clears throat> another example of the Prophet Sallallahu with his family, one day Aisha said that we were traveling uh, on our way to go fight a battle. We were on our way to go fight a ghazwa, go fight a battle. Now here, they don't know if they're going to return home or not. And the Prophet Sallallahu told the army to move up, go up and go ahead. And he walked over to Aisha, they used to be, and the women used to ride in what's called the hodaj. And this was like the small box or compartment that sat on top of the camel. All right. And he opened the door and he told Aisha, get out. And as the army began to move forward, the Prophet ﷺ told Aisha, let's race. Here it is. They're on their way to go fight a battle. And he still finds the time. This is what I'm talking about living your moment. You don't know if I'm going to return home. I don't know if I'm going to die. I don't know what's going to happen. But I'm, I'm in my moment. Right. I'm in my moment right now. Right. A lot of times, you know, brothers and sisters, sometimes in our lives, we we live our lives to to such, a, you know, to, to the T. Right. And to such detail that we don't have any wiggle room to deviate. So a husband might be sporadic, spontaneity, spontaneity. Right. Right? Spontaneity. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Right? Right? To be spontaneous. Right? And say, hey, I'm going to rent a room to, uh, you're going to go stay at a hotel or whatever the case. We don't need a hotel. We got a house. Why are we going to rent a hotel? Whatever the case may be. It's just like, why do you shoot everything? We're in a moment. I'm happy. We have a few extra dollars. Why are you dampering you know, what we're trying to do, like, let's live in our moment. And for some people, that's scary because they live a very rigid lifestyle, right? They live a very rigid lifestyle. We're on a budget. We can't afford it. You can't afford a lot of things, <laughs> but we still make it happen. We still manage. Tomorrow, if I die tomorrow and you had to use that same money for my janazah, right? The same money that I was going to use to go rent. Uh, you know, a hotel for us to spend the weekend, and I die tomorrow, you're going to have to come up with three times that much, as much as more than that, to pay to, to pay for my janazah. So while we say we can't afford that, right? When in fact, we can. We can. You can never put a price tag on happiness. And for some people, they may say, well, renting a hotel, that doesn't actually make me happy. Breaking the monotony, you know, of your marriage, breaking the monotony of everyday life, that is what creates happiness. When you follow this rigid code of living, getting up, doing the same thing every day, you become a robot. You become a machine. You don't even know how to live anymore. And that's the machine that we are living in right now, this matrix that we're living in right now in this society that we live in. As I said last night, you go to other countries and you see how easy their lives are. People get up. Whenever they want to get up. People take naps during the afternoon. Think about it. When we come home, we crash. I'm one of those people, when I close my eyes, I don't open them until it's time for fudger. <laughs> I don't roll, toss, turn, get up in the middle of the night tweeting, uh, why am I still up at 2 a.m.? That's not me. When I close my eyes, I'm done. I do not get up until it's light outside. You crash because your body is not being able to, you know, just enjoy the life that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it. I mean, something as simple as walking barefoot. Do you know the benefits of walking barefoot, allowing your skin to touch the bare earth? This is from what Allah created us from. That from the earth we created you, to the earth you will return, and from the earth we will bring you forth again. And three of these different instances, Allah mentions our connection to the earth. From the earth you came, He created Adam from dirt. 
to the earth you will return. When we die, our soul goes to the next dimension while our bones and our bodies return to the essence of where it came from. And we will extract you from the earth another time, meaning when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes everything to die and causes the earth to spill whatever is inside of it to spit it up, and so Allah will bring everyone back to life again. This is, you know, this is, you know, the earth. This is our essence. And there are literally, um, when you talk about holistic, you know, uh, medicine and, and, you know, um, therapy. Walking barefoot on the earth, right? We we talk about the Prophet ﷺ, these were nomads who used to walk the earth barefoot. Even now, a lot of the Bedouins, the Bedou, Yamshi, Bidun, Ship Ship, Bidun, Ayy Na'al, Walashi. Even now, you'll find the Bedouins, you go to Saudi Arabia, you go to anywhere, you'll find Bedouins, they walk the earth barefoot. Barefoot. They play soccer barefoot. They play soccer barefoot. Literally. And while we look at that and we say, wow, this is really a third, this is third world behavior. In fact, it's not third world behavior. These are people who are in tune with the earth. While we pride ourselves on being so, you know, uh, you know, uh, the modernity of our lives and, you know, the technologically advanced in our lives. When in fact, we might actually be behind the eight ball, not in front of it. Look at how far behind, look at how miserable our lives are. And you go and see people from other countries and we look at how poor they are. They're happy. They're happy. You go to other countries and you go and visit them. They come and they let you sit down on the floor and they serve you chicken and they serve you fruit and they serve you tea, green tea, and then Shay Ahmar, Shay Akhdar, they serve you green tea and red tea. And you're like, okay, enough with the tea. Because you don't realize that each tea has a certain benefit in it. Green tea, the, the, it helps you to digest your food. So the olives, they'll serve you food and then they'll give you green tea. But before you start eating, they'll give you red tea. They'll give you dates. Do you know how many benefits is in dates? And how many American Muslim homes are empty and have no dates inside of them? The Prophet ﷺ said, any home that does not have dates in it is a home that is unsuccessful. Until Ramadan, right? <laughs> Ramadan, everybody runs out, get the Ajwa dates, right? <laughs> but can you, do you understand that dates have sugar, dates have, you know, so much, so many benefits in dates, man? Potassium. Potassium, you name it, all of these things. And these are things that we take for granted. So these things that the Prophet ﷺ used to, you know, eat and how he used to live, it's actually more aligned with what we know today as holistic therapy and treatment than anything that doctors can prescribe for you today. And this is why, honey, this is why their lives was, this is what contributed to, you know, how happy they were, despite everything that's going around them. They weren't consumed we're talking about living in an environment where Muslims were being tortured, persecuted, and living under that type of fear would create psychological trauma. When we read the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and narrations of his companions, we don't see psychological trauma. Think about what is happening today in places like Gaza and places like Philistine and different parts of Palestine and different parts of Syria, different parts of Yemen. Even if everything was to, to stop right now, all of the war and everything, the great, great grandchildren of those that are living in those places right now will still be traumatized. Because of the psychological trauma that they have experienced. The Sahaba lived amongst the same trauma, if not worse. But when we find narrations of the companions, we don't find that psychological trauma. So the, the thing is, you have to ask yourself, how did they survive that and still manage to come out okay? How did that happen? Because they had a certain lifestyle that they lived that allowed them to be, you know, a resilient and bounce back from the mishaps of life, whereas we are consumed, right? We can't even miss a day of work. Someone asks you to take off for janazah, wallah even today, we will not take off. We know that a person died tomorrow, and the very next day is the janazah prayer, or oh, I can't take off for work. 
You will not go to a janazah, a funeral prayer, give this brother, this sister their rights because we cannot take off a day for work. We've already used our seven, you know, sick days. Out of 365 days in the year, they give you seven sick days. MashaAllah. That's basically two days every hundred. Every hundred days, you get two, two days off. MashaAllah. That's if we did the math. Two days every hundred. MashaAllah. That you can call on sick. I mean, how do you expect people living in this type of environment to be healthy, to be happy, to enjoy life? How do you expect Muslims living in this type of environment to enjoy their religion? You know, so the Prophet Sallallahu raced with Aisha. And, of course, being the man, he let her win. Right? He let her win. She was younger, you know, didn't have as much weight on her. And he raced with her and let her win. And it's, you know, for some of us as men, you know, we have yet to learn this or understand because we're so competitive. We'll play our wives in the game and we still got to beat them, right? <laughs> I was at Chuck E. T's the other day and my wife, we were playing the basketball game. And I'm like, yeah, I'm beating you. I'm beating you. It's not, the, the thought of the hadith of the prophet letting his wife win never even crossed my mind. <laughs> Nothing even crossed my mind, just like checkers, right? You become so engrossed in your competitiveness, right? Like, no, I'm going to beat you. Then it's like, it's over. It's like, in your face, I beat you, right? It's like, well, what happened to the hadith of the prophet? Didn't he let his wife win the race? Like, we lose sight of that. And then he raced with her. I should say, years later, uh, we raced again. She said, I was a little heavier. Uh, I had put on a little more weight. I was a little older, and we raced again. And the Prophet ﷺ beat me. And he said, "Had he He said, "I beat you this time for the last time that you beat me." You know, just showing you the the life of the Prophet ﷺ, his family life. It wasn't as strict and as rigid as we you know we we make it to be. There was times of happiness, you know, and we have to find our niche. We have to find our moment of happiness. The last example I'm going to give was uh, mentioned uh, by Abu Ya'la on the authority of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. She said, Ataytu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bi khazira, yani hasa, tabakhtuha lahu. Aisha said, I went to bring the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam some soup that I made for him. Alright? And, فَقُلْتُ لِسَوْدَةً she said that I went to the Prophet ﷺ, he was with Sauda, his other wife, this is an older woman, right, probably the eldest wife that he had, and he married her right after he, after Khadija died, right, he married Sauda, bint Zaman. And then right after Sauda, he married Aisha anha. And it was only Sauda and Aisha for uh, the longest stretch of time. There was only those two wives. And then afterwards, when he migrated to Medina, he ended up marrying Umar's daughter Hafsa. And then he married his, his cousin Zainab. And then he married Jawadia. And then, of course, down the line. But for a long time, he actually migrated with Sauda and Aisha. He actually migrated with them. Those two. So there was a special connection that he had with Sauda and Aisha than he had with the rest of his wives. Alright? They were his the only two wives that he had on his journey from Mecca to Medina. Alright? Uh, obviously, he sent for them later. Uh, he sent for, he let them go ahead as him and Abu Bakr migrated, but these were the only two women that he was married to at that time. So Aisha said that I went to go see the Prophet Sallallahu with some soup that I made for him. All right, our wives prepared food for us here tonight. All right, and we'll see how the rest of how, what's left of the food. If the food is still left over, then that's either you put too much or we weren't really filling it. <laughs> so, Aisha, um, she said that I made a, 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 a bowl of, of soup for the Prophet, and he was at Saud's house. He said, so I went to Sauda's house and I said to Sauda, while the Prophet was between me and her, I said to her, I made some soup, eat, eat some. And so Sauda, she said, uh, no, forever, no, I'm not going to eat any of your soup, right? This is a woman thing, right? So uh, Aisha said to her, فَقُلْتُ لَتَأْكُلِينَ أَوْ لَأَلْتَخَنَّ وَجَهَكِ 
She said that either you are going to eat some of my soup or I'm going to take the soup and I'm going to throw it in your face. This is Aisha, young girl, right? Talking real greasy to the older, the older wife, right? She said either you're going to eat or I'm going to take it and I'm going to put some in my hand and I'm going to smush it in your face. Uh, and Sauda said, no, I don't want to eat any of your food. Now, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they knew how young and how immature Aisha was. They really, they didn't like really go there with her. Even when uh, Aisha was being accused of adultery, and the Prophet ﷺ went to Zainab, and he asked Zainab, should I divorce Aisha or should I keep her? And Zainab said that this was a very awkward situation because... I, didn't, I wasn't really fond of Aisha. And this was an opportunity, but it was also a test. Because I could have said, divorce her. And tried to influence the Prophet ﷺ. She said, um, I close my eyes and I close my ears. Um, I don't have anything negative to say about Aisha. She said she's a young girl. And sometimes she leaves the front door open and the goats come in and eat the bread for the day. Other than that, I don't really have anything negative to say about her. All right, and it, and it shows you know her her taqwa, her consciousness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Because at that moment, any woman who is in polygyny, would, especially if she's not fond of the other wife, could take that opportunity to say, "Nah, let her go, divorce her." You know, she's giving us all headache, right? Let her go. But Zainab said, "No, I, I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to put myself in that situation." She said, "My eyes are closed and my ears do not hear anything," meaning I'm not paying attention to what's actually being said about her. That's not my concern. She said, the only issue that I have with Aisha is that she's young, she leaves the front door open, and sometimes the goats walk in and they eat the bread out of the house and we don't have any bread to eat. That, that's my only complaint with her. So as you can see, her, her youthfulness, right, with many of the women that the Prophet was married to. So Aisha said, either you're going to eat some of my soup or I'm going to throw it in your face. So she didn't eat. So Aisha said, فَوَضَعْتُ yadi fi khazira." So Aisha says, so I stuck my hand in the soup and I scooped some out of my hand and I threw it in her face. And the Prophet began laughing. This is him at home with his two wives, you know, having a family moment. All right, this is a family moment. Aisha said, I picked some up in my hand, I stuck my hand in a pot, I put some in my hand, and I threw it in the face of Soda. And the Prophet ﷺ started laughing. She said, Aisha said, so the Prophet ﷺ, he told Soda, um, Soda, throw some back in the face of Aisha. Throw some back in her face. And Soda said, so I took some in my hand and I threw some back in the face of Aisha. And the Prophet ﷺ was laughing. So here it is. They're having a food fight. Just imagine our children throwing food at each other. We're like, stop for Allah. Salam. You're wasting food. So many people in the world that don't have food. A'udhu billah. Right? <laughs> and I'm not saying that I'm not giving you guys a pass to have a food fight. That's, that's not what this is. Right? I'm not telling you it's okay to throw food around the house. There are consequences, right? <laughs> there are consequences, right? But what I am saying is that you can see the Prophet ﷺ in the home with his wives. At home, you know, having a moment. All right, there, there were moments when there was drama in, in the family of the Prophet ﷺ. There was a time when he boycotted his wives for an entire month. Didn't sleep with them, nothing, for an entire month. Right? Showing you that they, they had their usual trials and tribulations as a family. But at this moment, there was happiness. They're laughing. You know, Aisha threw food in her face. The Prophet ﷺ held Aisha down and let her throw food in her face and the whole while he's laughing. You understand? It wasn't always happy. It wasn't always, you know, this joyous. But at that moment, it was. So what I'm saying as husbands and wives and our families, even as children, it's not going to always be happy times at home. But we have to seek out our moments when we are happy and take advantage of that.
I don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. I don't know. I can't, you know, I can't go back to yesterday. We argued yesterday. We fought yesterday. I got in trouble yesterday. I can't go back to yesterday. All right? But right now, I'm happy. Right now, at this very moment, I'm happy. And that's the only thing that we should learn how to concentrate on. So living in our moments and learning that, you know, the, the best place that you can be as a husband, you know, especially during these times now that we're living in, the best place that you can be. If you're not married right now, I feel sorry for you. I do. My heart bleeds for you because there's nothing more joyous than to have a woman, to have children, to have... That is what validates you as a man. What As a man, what are you without a wife and children? What are you? You're just a man with a car. <laughs> right? Because when you're single, you put so much emphasis on your vehicle. Going to get rims, taking it to get washed and clean, and spraying the spray inside your car, and putting up, you know, air fresheners. You, you put so much, you invest so much in your car. Or you go out and buy a dog, right? You, you're feeding the dog ooga nooga, you're training the dog, taking him out to walk, and, you know, you put so much emphasis that what are you without a wife and children but a man with a dog or a man with a car? I'm just being honest with you. We're nothing. This is where we get our validation from. This is what makes you a man. Part of being a man, the greatest part of what makes you a man is that you are responsible. And because we are not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning we do not have qualities that are self-validating. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ar-Rahim, the most merciful, even when there's no one there to have mercy on. Allah is the provider, ar-Razaq, even when there was no one there to provide for. Because Allah's qualities are self-validating. Allah does not need His creation to validate Him. Right? Human beings, on the other hand, our qualities are not self-validating. Your validation as a man does not come to you because you have a male member, a male private area, and you have hair on your chin and your mustache. That's not what makes you a man. What makes you a man is that you have someone there to validate the status of being a man. You follow me? Being a man is not self-validating. You need someone there to take care of that will validate you as a man. Children, wives, these are the things that validate us. So what is a man without a wife and children, right? Except a man with a car and a house. MashaAllah, you got a nice apartment. It's a bachelor pad because you have nobody to share it with. MashaAllah, you have a nice car, you have a, a nice job, but you have no one to share it with. So you're still irresponsible, you're still, um, you're still selfish, right? You're still egotistical, you're still driven by ego and testosterone, right? When you go into the institution of marriage, all of that begins to fade away. You're not driven by ego anymore, you're driven by compassion. You're not driven by being self-centered anymore because your life now revolves around the people that mean the most to you. You're nothing without them. And although when we get in arguments with our spouses, we like, I'm going to divorce you, I can do bad by myself or whatever. No, you can do bad by yourself. <laughs> because a man loses more years of his life single as a person that smokes two packs of cigarettes a day. Did you know that? A single man loses more years of his life similar to a man who smokes two packs of cigarettes a day. Who's going to be there to cook for you? Who's going to be there to make all your dentist appointments for you? Who's going to be there to make your doctor's appointments for you? Who's going to be there to tell you not to wear that red tie with a yellow jacket? Who's going to tell you that that belt does not go with those shoes? Like, who's going to be there to tell you that? Who's going to be there to help you through those things? Who's going to be there to get you up in the morning for fudger? My wife is my alarm clock because I don't respond to a regular alarm clock. My body doesn't work like that. It's not the way my body is set up. <laughs> she is my alarm clock. <laughs> you understand? So, I mean, when you think about these things, so, I mean, there's, there's nothing better than, you know, being married, being in the institution of marriage. And I think it's important that, you know, we make marriage look cool again. All right? 
as Donald Trump said, making America great again, making marriage cool again. Because there was a time when men used to look forward to getting married. And now we're raising generations of children who are running away from marriage, not even looking 30 years old, he's not even thinking about marriage. That's a problem. That's a problem. You go back to how many of our grandparents were married at 13, 14 years old. 13, 14 years old. This is one of the greatest institutions to help you mature as a man. While today we have an extended adolescence because at 27, 28 years old, we're not even thinking about marriage. It's the furthest thing from our minds. So this is uh, what I wanted to present in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam at taslimi kathira wa akidu da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Uh, thank you guys for you know coming out tonight. Um, it's nine o'clock now. Um, I mean, we might as well stay. What else we got to do? <laughs> Game is over. Pray Isha, inshallah. I don't know if there were any questions or comments about what was presented. None. Alhamdulillah. Let's stop here. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. All right, so this is this is our uh, monthly uh, family night. Alhamdulillah, we do this every month. Uh, we have one Saturday out of the month where we invite all of the families to come out. And you guys that are online listening, uh, you guys are, feel free to be a part of the community as well. Come out. You know, tomorrow morning we have uh, our community meeting, which is at 11 a.m. from 11 to 1, inshallah. We will talk about, you know, some of the directions that the community is going in, you know, um, we have a fundraiser, inshallah, that we're uh, organizing that's coming up to help us, you know, raise funds for a bigger place as we've outgrown this place, inshallah. And we're hoping that, you know, uh, even if you can't come out, that you can at least make a donation, uh, inshallah. Um, and any of you guys that are online that are in the South Jersey area that are looking for a community to be a part of, then look to Al-Minha Academy, inshallah ta'ala. Um, With that being said, inshallah, we'll stop here. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam al-taslima kathira wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I got married at 24, man. 20, 24. Yeah, man. I couldn't. I couldn't.